on the inside of your bulletin. We move into discussing the temptation of Jesus. If you remember two weeks ago we talked about the baptism where Christ, the Holy Spirit depends on, uh, descends on Christ and, and God says you are my son. And then we talked about his lineage. Uh, that uh, Jesus is the descendants of man and yet he's a new Adam that's come uh, to uh, where the, the last Adam failed to succeed in conquering sin. So this is Luke 4, 1 through 12. Um, hear the word of the Lord. And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil, and he ate nothing during these days. And when they were ended, he was hungry. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone. And the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And said to him, To you I will give all this authority and their glory, for it has been delivered to me. And I will give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. And Jesus answered him, It is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only you shall serve. And he took him into Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, He will command his angels concerning you to guard you. And on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered him, It is said, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And at this point the devil departed for a more opportune time. The word of the Lord. Well, the sun is shining outside. Uh, it's still a tad cold out there. I don't know if anyone uh, with these warmer and balmier temperatures was going to head to the beach after uh, this church service uh, because it's been uh, pretty nice here uh, and the weather's been pretty miserable before. But uh, I don't know about you, but this is about the time during the year when I start longing for summer. You know, I start longing for that breeze coming across the water and with my umbrella and chair going out there and enjoying the sun and the sand and, uh, and uh, I'm missing that a little bit. You know, I grew up in the southwest in Texas and uh, if you go to Texas, it's a very different look than here. It's very brown and there's a lot of dirt and there's a lot less foliage and it's warmer. You know, Texas is like an oven. Dallas in the summer is like an oven. And I love it. It feels great. It's, it's wonderful. And so I've decided that I need to take a little bit of a vacation coming up because I need some sun and sand. And so I'm going to be running the Marathon Disables, which is a 156-mile ultramarathon across the Sahara Desert. April 13th. Yeah! Who's with me? It's known as the toughest race in the world where you carry your own food and water and things on your back for six consecutive days of marathoning. They give you water every day and a tent, otherwise you're on your own carrying it, where temperatures soar well above 100 degrees. Now who are the crazy people that would try to do such a thing? In fact, it's interesting. Since the race was started, I think about 25 years ago, now thousands come and pay the $4,500 to enter this race only to be pummeled for the next six days. Why would someone do such a crazy thing? Well, I don't exactly know. 
aside from there's this lemming-like instinct that there's a, if there's a race across inhospitable conditions, we needed to go ahead and run it. I want to suggest to you that this race, this ultra-marathon, this run across the Sahara is a symbol of life. Because life is like a race through a desert. That's really what we're seeing in this passage right here. That Christ has a journey to take. A race through the desert. From the beginning mankind has been venturing through this desert. We all have challenges and difficulties that we must face. I'm not simply talking about the environment. I'm talking about the challenges and difficulty of life. Sometimes our planet seems very inhospitable. And so whether we like it or not, this passage is telling us that we've all been entered into this race. And it's a race that goes across a desert. In the world that we live in, in America, we think that privation and difficulty is something to be avoided. That we need to spend our time uh, in whatever tropical paradise we can create. But I want to suggest to you that you and I were made to cross the desert. We were not made to escape the desert, we were made to overcome it. And so your and my destiny lies on the other side of the desert. And so we're going to look at Christ as he crosses the desert. And his journey and success will teach us three things. Number one, you and I were made to cross the desert. Number two, Christ has crossed the desert. He is the one who has managed to make it to the other side. And then finally, number three, we are in the desert right now. But through Christ, we can experience the victory that he has experienced. Because we were not made to escape the desert. No, we were made to overcome it. Well, let's look at these three points. Number one, you were made to cross the desert. Now, if you go all the way to the beginning of the Bible, you discover that man was made to cross the desert. We start out in a garden, right? God creates man and woman in this garden, but he has a mission for them. Genesis 2.4 says, This is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created. When the Lord God made the earth and the heavens, and no shrub of the field had yet appeared on the earth, and no plant of the field had yet sprung up. For the Lord God had not sent rain on the earth, and there was no man to work the ground. God said, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Conquer it. Bring it into order. In other words, God creates this Eden, this tropical paradise, and he says the world all around is unformed. It's desert. And I, what I want you to do is to take this beautiful paradise, which is a symbol of the rule of God, the presence of God, a God that is uh, subjective to its creation. I want you to go out into the desert and I want you to make it the same. And so God's journey Excuse me, man's point is not to hide in the tropical paradise. It's to go into the desert and to cultivate it. We're not talking about farming here, guys. We're talking about God who has given man the ability to go and build cities and use his brain and his mind to create culture and architecture and music all dedicated to worshiping God. So why does God start out with this task to send them into the desert? This is the proving ground of man. Man who is made in the image of God is meant to bring life. 
And so as God has brought life out of chaos in the world, so man must bring life out of the desert. You know, a desert teaches us about a lot of things, right? See, Adam and Eve were meant to go out into the desert, but the desert itself had no resources, did it? So what were they given? They were given the promises of God, His Word. Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Go, I give you the promise that as you obey my word, you will succeed. They were given a position, right? Vice regents over the earth. Vice kings, man and woman, Adam and Eve in the image of God. You are my direct representatives. I've given you my promise. I've given you my position and I've given you my power. When God forms man up, he is of the desert, isn't he? But then God breathes his Holy Spirit into Adam and Eve. And they become alive. And the Spirit is synonymous with God's presence and power. They have his promise. They have his position. They have his power to go and accomplish God's task. But in the desert, there is always opposition. As the marathon disabled is a test, so the desert was a test. And as they went into the desert, they discovered evil. Why is there evil, really, when you think about it, you know? I mean, why not just make everything a lush paradise? Why have to go through all of these formalities? The truth of the matter is, light needs darkness to shine. Can't really see how light something is until you understand it against the darkness. Can't see how holy something is until you compare it to that which is evil. And so Satan, in essence, is a prop. He's a backdrop to be conquered, to show the goodness and glory of God. And so the test comes, the wily one Satan. Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? God, Satan challenges Adam and Eve in the direct three places, the three resources he's been given. Number one, God's promise, his word. Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Don't believe God's promises. Don't believe his word. That's a bunch of hogwash. Trust me instead. Trust your own instincts. Don't believe his promises. We, will, uh, we may eat from any tree, the woman says, but we must not eat from this tree, for we will surely die. You will not surely die, the serpent said, for God knows when you eat of it, your eyes will be open, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Satan then challenges Adam and Eve's position. You don't have to be under God. You don't have to be vice regents of God. If you go ahead and take what belongs to you, you can take the position of God. The resource that God has given them. It can all be yours. And so what did they do? For God knows when you eat of it, your eyes will be like God, knowing good and evil. You can have God's position because you can have God's power. You can know good and evil, right and wrong. You don't need to rely on his power. You will have it all. And so man took these resources which God gave him. And he looked at Satan. And he bit the fruit. And man was thrust into the desert, wasn't he? Cursed are you man above all other beings. You will work the ground and it will produce thorns and thistles for you. From dust you came and dust you will return. As he's thrown out of Eden into the desert. 
You'll work the ground. You know the truth of the matter is man never made it out of the desert. We are his descendants. You and I wandering in the desert. The earth is a desert. Condemned to wander. And if history has proved anything, it has proven this, that man is a failure at being able to escape the desert. How about God's chosen people that received God's promises, his word? Follow what I'm telling you. Go, I will give you a land flowing with milk and honey. And as they go through the desert, there is Satan grumbling that starts. Don't believe his promises. You're not God's chosen people. Trust your own instincts. You can build your own gods. You don't need him. And again and again, man fails to cross the desert. We're still wandering. We're never satisfied, are we? We're always chasing mirages, looking for that on the edge of the horizon that we think will give us satisfaction. But the truth of the matter is, we're going nowhere. We're lost. Round and around goes humanity. But you see, the point I'm trying to make is this, that we were meant to conquer the desert, not to escape it. So much of my life I've discovered is really this, I wish I could get out of here. I wish life could be easy. I wish somehow I could go back, if you will, to that land where there was food for everyone in Egypt. I make slavery look like uh, a kingly living. Life is easy in the United States of America, so they say. We're the best country in the world. People are dying to get in here. Nobody's starving on the streets. And yet as I've traveled some of the world, I've discovered that some of the most unhappy people in the world are right here. Because the desert is deeper than simply having enough food to eat. It's the emptiness of a human heart. We don't want to battle with the desert, but the desert is not going to go away. We were meant to conquer it. Much of my life, as I look back upon it, has been different tests in the desert, and I remember one of them. Uh, when I was in college, I, uh, I ran a marathon, and I had been pretty sick before the marathon, but I was convinced I could make it through that desert. And it turned out I had mononucleosis when I ran that marathon. And marathons, by their nature, deplete your immune system. And so, lo and behold, uh, nobody could figure out what was wrong with me. And uh, the... Uh, the uh, uh, the UVA quack shack, whatever you call it, they, they couldn't figure it out. <laughs> and so here I am, down on my back, not able to get up, obligations and responsibilities in front of me, thinking I was unstoppable, and I am in the desert. I wanted to get out of it. But you know, it's very interesting. Didn't God, through the Holy Spirit, lead Jesus Christ right into the desert? This was a date with destiny for Christ. And we have a date with destiny as well. The desert. Mankind must overcome. And so my question for you is this. Is life hard for you right now? Are you in the desert? Did you get the phone call from the doctor? Things are going to get kind of hard. Are you in the desert with your relationships? Strained? Stretchy, maybe they're broken with your children or your parents. There's no life there. There's just twigs and brambles and branches and a bunch of sand. Maybe you're in the desert of death. 
mourning the loss of a son, of a father, of a friend. There's desert everywhere. And the truth of the matter is it's a test that God has led us into. It might be because we sinned. It might be because of other people's sin. But God doesn't make any mistakes. And God allows sometimes that he hates which is to accomplish that which he loves. And we have to go through the desert. Life is not supposed to be hard. But life will be hard until we conquer. At some point you and I have to face our fears. At some point we have to stop trying to go around the desert. And to realize that my destiny is to go through it. Because you can't go around it. At some point you have to face your path. And at some point you have to face your failings. That I'm not equipped to run that race. You know the Sahara Desert race is 156 miles. The Sahara Desert is roughly the width of China. We don't have the power. We don't have the position. We don't have the promises. We're doomed to wander, doomed to failure. But if we were made to overcome it, then God must have a plan to take us through. And that brings me to my second point, that Christ has crossed the desert. All of this story, all of the gospel up to now, is Jesus' preparation to go into the desert. It is time for the beginning of Jesus' ministry. At age 30, he's marked by the Lord through the Holy Spirit. He's proclaimed at his son. He's given his Holy Spirit and he's led into the desert. Notice verse 4, uh, chapter 4, verse 4. And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan, from the water, and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, from the water to the desert. You know, God will never leave you to a place where he'll abandon you. And so Jesus goes. Jesus has the promise of God. And it says, For forty days being tempted by the devil, he ate nothing during those days, and when they ended, he was hungry. See, unlike man, Jesus begins at a deficit. Adam at least had Eve. Jesus has no one. Adam at least had these godlike powers Jesus had to not even be able to eat for 40 days. He had to go out and be alone. And Satan now is in the position as the prince of this world. God has given Satan authority. Man has already fumbled the ball unlike Adam and Eve. And so Jesus is alone being tempted by the devil. By the way, that's a present participle. Meaning these three uh, temptations we see are probably at the end and just sort of a finality, but every single minute, every single day, he is being tempted of these 40 days. You ever gotten hungry before? We have a word at our house, it's called hangry. See the Snickers commercial? Everything gets frustrating, you know? Forget it all, I'm tired. But Jesus has to go to the end of himself. Hebrews 4 puts it this way, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. Think of every temptation you've had this week, and will have. He's experienced it. And these final three, don't they typify? You know, Satan at the end of the day is not a very imaginative character. His playbook is very simple. 
Number one, he attacks God's promises. The devil said to him, if you are the son of God, command this stone to become bread. Did God really say? Same thing, isn't it? Did God really say? You had to spend 40 days? Where's that, Jesus? But Jesus says, God has commanded me to do this. He has led me here. And because he has, he has promised me. So Jesus responds, it is written, man shall not read, uh, live by bread alone. This passage, by the way, is from Deuteronomy. If you read it in uh, the other temptation uh, pictures in the other Gospels, it says, man shall not live by bread alone, but every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. It comes from Deuteronomy 8.1, where Moses says to them, be careful to follow every command I am giving you. Remember how the Lord led you all the way into the desert these 40 years to humble you, to cause you, to, to test you, to hunger and feed you with manna which neither you nor your fathers known, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Jesus said man shall not live by bread alone, but the commands and promises of the, of the Lord, they are sufficient. I will put my confidence on them, not on bread, for God will take care of me. God holds strong, Jesus holds strong to God's promises. And so Satan attacks Christ's position. Verse 5, And the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time and said to him, I will give you all this authority for it's been delivered to me. If you then only worship me, it will be yours. Here's Jesus, the Son of God, having to live as a man, having to listen to this. But he's weak and he's tempted. I'll give you everything. All of this has to end. How? Why are you living like this in the desert? You're the son of God. Worship me and everything will be yours. But Christ already understood his position, didn't he? Was it not just before where the dove came from the heavens and God spoke and said, you are my son. With you I am well pleased. He believed in his position even when his circumstances around him said otherwise. Christ knew that he had to earn the position that God had given him. He had to walk in the way of Adam. And so he answers the exact opposite of Adam. The exact opposite of the Israels. The exact opposite of us. It is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only you shall serve. I will not be like God knowing good and evil. I will be below my Father. I am God the Son, but I am not God the Father. Away. I trust in God's position and God's promise. So Satan finally attacks God's power. And he took him to the top of the temple and said, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down. For he will command his angels to lift you up to protect you. In other words, if you are the Son of God, show it. Cast yourself down and God will most certainly lift you up and protect you because he has to. Invoke your power. And Jesus answered him and he said, It is said you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. See, Jesus was saying he gives me the power to obey but not the power to rebel. He gives me the power to live in his promises through his position in the assignment that he's given me. And oh Satan, my job is not to live, my job is to die. See, Christ died long before he met the cross. 
He died to his will when he went into that desert. And when he came out of it, he said, I'm the Lord's servant. I will follow you. Did he have the power? Yes, but he had an assignment. The challenge of the desert is not its difficulties, but our temptations to succumb to them. And so when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed until an opportune time. There was going to be another time, isn't there? When the shepherd would be struck and the sheep would be scattered. And on the cross, even the person on the right and left, remember? If you're the son of God, come on down and save yourself. Into your hands I commit my spirit. Christ conquered the desert by being faithful to it. And the result is he gives life to us and gives us the strength to conquer the desert. For what does Christ do when he ascends to heaven at the ascension of the resurrection? He receives the Holy Spirit to pour it out on all believers. And he says to all who believed him, who, to all who believed in Christ, he gives the right to become children of God. We receive his power. We receive his position. We receive his promises that you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and to the ends of the earth. Hebrews 5, 7 put it this way, that during the day of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions and loud, with loud cries to the one who could save him from death. Although he was a son, he learned obedience from what he suffered. And once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who would obey him. The goal of Christ was to conquer the desert so we could as well. He came to create the path. I don't know the path through the desert. But Christ says, I'm the way. And I'm the truth. And I am the life. I don't know if you've ever tried to swim out to the breakers in the ocean. You know, you see the water out there. And uh, you know, you may even see people standing and they're waist deep out there. And you wonder, how can they be standing out there? Well, there's a sandbar there. And so you want to go out there too. You want to wade into the ocean, into the water. But there's one problem. In between the beach and the sandbar is the deep water. So one time it was at Sandbridge and Lee Ellen and myself and some other folks, we were with uh, Fellowship of Christian Athletes at UVA. We decided to swim out to the sandbar. And we were pretty good swimmers. Um, and we went with some other folks. Well, we didn't realize that not all of them were great swimmers. And they didn't understand what was going to happen. And so as we began swimming out, um, all of a sudden one of our friends, her name was Sheila, began to panic. Somewhere in the middle. The water kept pushing in. She couldn't get out. Now she was in between and she didn't know where to go. And she started panicking. She didn't remember the path. She didn't have the power. She didn't have the position. But what she had were friends. And so we came alongside her on either side. We told her, go, get on your back. Start kicking, start swimming. And I held one of her arms and I laid on my back as well. And somehow, us giving her instruction, coming alongside of her, she found enough peace. And she would be tempted to drop her head and look around and we said, just keep looking up. Keep listening, we're going to make it. There's no doubt in my mind that Sheila would have died that day. 
But luckily someone alongside who knew the way came alongside and reached out and showed her the path. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. The greatest danger of survival is to lose hope. Are you succumbing to the desert? Maybe you feel like I've lost my way. I'm defeated. Sin has overtaken me. I keep running up against my limitations and my failures. My anger or my alcoholism or my whatever it is. I don't have any power left to overcome these things. I might as well just sink down and die. But Christ has crossed the desert so he can bring us out of it. And so we must look to Jesus to not focus on our circumstances, to not even look at the mirage as, as maybe you've been burned by it so many times you don't even look anymore. Or even getting out of the desert. We must fix our eyes on Jesus because he is the power. He is the end. He's the beginning of the end. And so we must focus on his power, not ours. We must focus on the position that we have in Christ. Maybe you have succumbed to the lies of Satan. You're nobody. You're forgotten. You've been left out here to die. Just die. Take your position as an abandoned person. You know, I don't know where I am right now in this chapter of my life. But I do know whose I am. And I can hold on to God's position that he has for me even though I'm in the middle of the desert. It doesn't matter what life has taken away from you. If you are a Christian, there's one thing that he cannot take away and that is your position. So remember who you are in the desert. I'm the son of a king. My value comes from above. My blood is precious enough for the death of the Son of God. God will give me his power because he has given me his position. And finally, when I don't even feel his power, feel his position, I have his promises. I'm not going to make it through this one. This is the end for me. Got to spend a fair amount of time in the hospital in the last couple days. It was an honor and privilege to be with Robin and Greg and to spend some time with Bill as he neared the end of his life. And in one aspect, you could take a look and say, well, he's coming to the end of his rope. His life is over. He's finally succumbed to the environment. And yet, having spent a lot of time with Bill, I knew that Bill was facing his future not with fear, not with inability, but with peace and confidence in the promises of God. It's time for me to go home. How do we know we succeed? We simply stay faithful to the end. The, the goal of the journey is not to win the marathon du Sables. Somebody's already taken that position. The goal is to simply fix my eyes on him. He gives me enough power for that day, just enough water. He gives me the position. And he gives me the promise that he will never leave me or forsake me. 
Don't worry about what you'll eat or drink or what you'll wear. For the Father knows that you need these things, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you as well. Every day, you're going to be hearing the temptation, the whispers of Satan. Did God really say that? Are you really that person? You're going to look around and you're going to discover, I don't think I have any resources to deal with today. How do I, when I come up against this challenge? But we have to remember that we were not meant to escape the desert. We've been led into it. We were meant to overcome it. And now we have one who is with us, who has crossed over, who knows exactly what to do and where to go and what we need. And furthermore, Christ went into the desert alone, but we go into the desert with one another. A family on pilgrimage, on exodus from death to life. So trust in God's promises. Did God really say, love your wife? Lay down your life for her? Did God really say, bring up your children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord? Did God really say that no temptation has seized you except that which is common to man and he will provide a way out so that you could stand under it? We have God's promises. We have God's power that raised Christ from the dead. That took, you know, when I went and saw Bill Shepard, I said goodbye to him and then he died and we were at a dinner party and I came back and I saw him. You know, there was something missing. His spirit was gone. I could see it. The body was still there, but the spirit was gone. Where was it? If Christ is resurrected through the Holy Spirit, if God has resurrected Bill's spirit, if God promises that he will resurrect us at the end of all things, then God surely will give me the power to walk day by day through this desert. As Paul said, I want to know Christ. I don't want to just escape the desert. I want to overcome it by the power of his resurrection. It's a miracle when the desert can become an oasis. Then you don't need anything because you have the one thing you need, which is Christ. There's plenty of people by, in the desert, by the way. As you're on your journey and you go home, and look back at your life and enter into reality, you'll discover that if you look to your right and to your left, there are people all over the place. Just kind of sinking down on their knees. They're tired of wandering. They've given up. They've responded to the lies. Did God really say? As Christ comes alongside you, He gives you the power to come alongside others. To speak God's promises. To tell them of what position they can have in Christ. And to give them the power to move from death to life. So when you pass through the waters, I will be with you, says God. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, it will not overcome you. For I am the Lord your God. And I will watch over you forever. Guys, we weren't meant to escape the desert. I don't have a message of life is going to be peachy and everything's going to be great. Just keep following Jesus. My message is a lot greater than that. We need not fear the desert. 
Because we go with the one who conquered the desert into the desert. And we can become more than conquerors through him who loved us. Praise God. I can't wait to be with you on the other side. And I love walking with you in the middle. And let's pick up some other people along as we go. That we could fill this place with God's people. Let's pray. Lord, you made us to be conquerors. Inheritors of the kingdom. Lord, while we run and fail and succumb to temptation. Jesus, we thank you that you made it. And you have become the source of eternal salvation, Lord. Let us fix our eyes on you. Let us not fear the desert, Lord, but let us cling to your promises, knowing that you will care for us. Lord, let us cling to the position that you've given us, your children, that you would never abandon by the wayside. Lord, and let us cling, finally, to the hope of the resurrection, that your power is more than enough to give life to these broken bodies. We pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen.